Episode 381 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris, and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky. And this podcast is for everyone who enjoys going out under the stars, regardless of those stellar spectrum colors. This show is just a very short show on the green stars. Dave, in one of the episodes, episode 364, we briefly referenced the green stars or lack thereof in the sky and asked people to write in. We only had two people write in, but I thought, hey, why don't we read their emails and give something away? And you've come up with a prize for us. We appreciate that very much. Yes, I have. <clears throat> I have a uh, spare copy of the Observer's Handbook 2024 USA edition. Because I, I think these listeners are from the USA. So this all just sort of all the yeah. stars lined up for this, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a couple of emails to read. Uh, I think the way that we'll do it is uh, maybe Shane, you can read the first email. I'll, and, and Dave, you can provide the color commentary. <laughs> so to speak. So to speak, <laughs> pun intended. Yeah, Go yeah. for it, Shane. Hey, so this first email is from Blake and he said, Hey, Chris and Shane, I'm catching up on a few episodes and just listened to number 364 with Dave Chapman. I love those sessions. They're great for helping me learn how to navigate the sky and my repertoire of known stars is growing still limited, but better. So the question about green stars piqued my curiosity, uh, without resorting to the great Oracle we call Google. I suspect it has something to do with oxygen because the only time I've seen green in my scopes is with an O3 filter, perhaps the most gorgeous shade of green I've ever seen. Uh, as I understand it, stars go from fusing hydrogen to fusing helium before going supernova. I've also read about carbon stars, but it seems like no stars ever reach the point where they can fuse oxygen. So I suspect that there must be something about the atomic structure of oxygen that precludes the fusion of oxygen atoms. Either that, or there's some other physical process that happens before there's sufficient force for that. Uh, just the same, a green star would be quite a sight to see. Okay, off to the Google to figure this out. Many thanks for another awesome show. Cheers, Blake. So Dave, what do you have to say about that? Well, do you know what? I'd like to hear the second answer. Okay, Chris, you go for it. <laughs> All right, let me uh, transition back over to that. So for the second answer, uh, Vic wrote in, gentlemen, I thank you for feeding my curiosity and for being my commute compadres. My guess is just that. I know from a college class that stars generally stop fusing at iron, and since copper is heavier than iron, I would guess that no copper is created in the star, at least until a nova creates heavier elements. And I know that copper is used in fireworks to create the color green. Thank you again from Texas, Vic. I, I like, I feel like these are such good uh, guesses. And I like the fact that people did provide guesses. I think that's really cool. But uh, what was the name of the second Vic. guy? Dick? Vic, yeah. Vic? Yep. Okay. What do you, what do you have to say, Chris? Well, I studied color in, when I, I studied philosophy in university and I studied color and I know that um, the challenge with colors, in particular the color green, 
is that when when you're receiving the information under low light conditions, uh, the green color ends up being interpreted more as yellow. It's in, and so from a physiological and a sort of mental processing uh, side of things, uh, that's kind of in a way uh, how it would work. So even if there were green stars, the challenge is, is that it would have to be like pure green spectrum in order to see it as green. But typically with stars, we get multiple wavelengths from blue, red, green, and perhaps some other tones like violet and such. But because there's never going to be like a pure green star, just like there's very seldom pure uh, colored stars in other spectrum classes, um, you will interpret those green stars as yellow, such as our sun. Our sun gives off lots of green light, but because it also provides lots of light in other spectral colors, we interpret that as yellow or maybe even closer to a white color in some instances. So that's my philosophical answer. <laughs> well, this is really, I think it's really difficult to choose who to give the prize to. Um, okay. We might end up having to flip a coin. All right. I'm good with that. <clears throat> I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what my explanation is and uh, see uh, how you think about it. And then I'll I'll let you guys decide how to. I think I think uh, Blake and Vic should get one of them should get something just for participating because okay. it was a it was a you know it was a, an honest try and we can do that. Okay, so this is my answer. Okay, so unlike uh, uh, Blake was correct in that you know there there are things in the sky that have oxygen different kinds of elements and when those uh when those uh, elements uh, are excited they give off narrow band uh, pure sort of wavelengths of light and you can use filters to enhance those um but those are normally you know nebula and things like that fairly sparse things stars are hot uh bodies of plasma and they radiate they don't radiate at specific wavelengths they they they're a broad band kind of radiation spanning all wavelengths from infrared to red through all the different wavelengths and yeah green is in there but but then there's all the other wavelengths too and um so we when we see these stars they have this kind of black body um, radiation spectrum. So they, they peak at different wavelengths, but you never see a pure color out of a star. You never see a pure wavelength. It's always a mixture of colors. So a cool star will look, will have more red light than blue light. And so when the eye sees that they see it reddish, but it's not a pure red. It's not a pure wavelength. It's a, it's, it's, it's a kind of a, I don't know how you describe it, but it's a it's a hue, you know. And then the really hot stars give off more in the blue, and they look blue or blue white. The ones in the middle kind of give all of the wavelengths. And as you say, um, even though it might peak at the green uh, spectrum, there's so many other wavelengths to to the red and the blue that your eye perceives all of those together, and you you don't see green. You know, as you say, you see yellow or white. So the reason there's no green stars is that 
it's the spectrum of the stars just isn't peaked enough in the green. It's not it's not narrow enough in a star. The, the green wavelengths are in there, but they're confused with everything else. And so it, it's not a pure wavelength you're seeing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, having that's said all that, having said all that, uh, I, I don't know. You guys choose. No, pick one. Like you can even flip a coin if, if you want, and we'll make sure the other person gets something as well. Can you arrange that? Yeah, yeah, I can arrange. I'll take care of that. You take care of one, I'll take care of the other. So you, yeah. you pick. Okay. I'm going to say of the two, uh, Blake got, I think, closest to the to the right answer. Okay. But but uh, I I think if he's listening, uh, he'll he'll no understand more, and so will will Vic. But Vic Vic wasn't far behind, so I feel badly. It, it, I feel strongly he should get something too, just yeah. for participating. Just, just for, for participating. Just for participating. So I'll you know I'll I'll send the uh, USA Observer's Handbook to 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 Blake, and you you take care of the other thing. Okay. Yeah, I'll reach out to them both, and we will take care of them, and we thank. Uh, we thank them for participating. I was surprised we only had two people write in. And um, yeah, we we certainly appreciate it. We get lots of emails from people every day. And I think it just boils down to the fact that uh, people are writing us. They're just writing us anyway, because I think we end up hearing from about uh, three quarters of our listeners. Shane. Well, you know, we're, we were getting deep into the astrophysics. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's really not what the show is about, is it? I suppose so. I you suppose know, so. It, it, it's more about observing and having fun and and. So mo most of our amateur observers, uh, you know, uh, I mean, if you do have a, a physics or science interest, you might want to get into that those weeds. But uh, normally, we don't get into the weeds that much. But uh, okay. anything to add to this bit, Shane? Um, my interest in this is associated to uh, Antares. You know, it's a notorious, difficult double star system uh, to split, uh, and what ties that to this episode is a lot of observers that do split Antares successfully um, often comment that the companion star appears greenish. Um, and there's been a lot of debate as to why that is. And I think most of the debate settles on it's caught in the glare of like this bright red, you know, Antares or primary star that it it kind of distorts what the the color really is and uh, yeah like it might be more of a perceptional yes thing rather than yeah. an, an absolute uh no i the people who who get into this i i may have s spoken out of turn maybe somebody will come back to me and say i'm wrong but the point is is that if there are stars out there that appear green, they're not obvious, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like red stars and blue stars and that kind of thing, orange stars. Uh, there aren't any obviously green ones. So if the example you give is, oh, a companion to an, another star that's brighter, eh, mm -hmm. it could be just a, a perceptional thing. But I think it's an interesting topic, and if somebody wanted to investigate it more, um, I'm looking at the list of the colored double stars by Michael Duval, and he includes green and various other hues in the description of double stars. But I mean, some of these colors are like he's got blue, emerald, green, gold, lilac, orange, red, topaz. Uh, wow. Um, uh, I don't think I don't think my visual system 
can resolve those <laughs> those fine you know uh, differences of color. So maybe uh, maybe somebody out there who is a uh, dedicated double star observer and is really quite um, adept at pulling out these colors, they maybe they'd like to write in and uh, and and maybe uh, contradict what I just said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things I like to do with double star color perception that I have at the eyepiece is note that in my observing log. Um, and then when I come in after my session is complete, I'd like to double check all of it with either Sky Safari as the resource or just, you know, yeah. general online searches um, just to test, you know, am I seeing what I think I'm seeing or is there yeah, something else yeah. at play here? Yeah. I know one of the most famous colored double stars is Alberio. Mm-hmm. And I always show that at star parties in the summertime. And I ask I, I ask people to look at the star. And people will look and they go, oh, that's really cool. And then I'll say, uh, do you see different colors? And then they look again because uh, many times people don't really see the colors the first time. And then they go, oh, yeah, they are different. And then I'll ask them, uh, well, what do you see? And I get, I get all kinds of answers from mm-hmm. people. Uh, about what the colors are that they see. Uh, they usually stack up in sort of like the the bluish end and the, the sort of reddish end or the gold end. But the, I think the point is, is that you really can't tell what another person sees in terms of color. Like it's a very personal, you know, if you think about it, how do you learn colors? Like uh, you you can't tell what somebody else is seeing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you you have to d- learn colors by looking at something and agreeing like oh okay we're going to agree that that color is that but if you have different training from somebody else um mm-hmm. you know so anyway it's a, it's an interesting fascinating topic it is and maybe this gets back to Chris's philosophical comment earlier but you know I think that it's also influenced um, I know if I'm looking at a double star system for the first time and I know I'm supposed to see a blue and an orange star, yeah. I see a blue and an orange star. <laughs> but sometimes if I'm not familiar with the star colors, I'll miss it. And, you know, when I go back to confirm after the session, uh, gain awareness that there's a color there that maybe I didn't perceive. So yeah. I think it's good, especially with double stars, or I guess if you're trying to distinguish any star color, try to go into it knowing as little as possible and, and just see what you're able to perceive. Yeah. And you sort of I, wonder sometimes uh, the people that did a lot of this work, uh, they were probably using pretty big refractors with big lenses. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, if, if you haven't looked through one of those telescopes, I don't know what you know, what are, what are you going to see in terms of color, you know? Yeah. Don't with big refractors. I think people just shouldn't waste their time. Uh, like, <laughs> like, like seven inch refractors. <laughs> yeah. Like once you get over six <laughs> inches, you're just wasting your time on the sky. No, I mean, there's some b- before the age of the big reflectors, there were some pretty darn big uh, lenses out there, like yeah. your keys and places like that. And yeah. Lick and, yeah. uh, UNSO at, at foggy bottom and, whole bunch of other ones, Warner and Swayze and yeah, lots of big grub reflectors and refractors. Yeah. And I think also Shane, I think the sensation of color of course will depend on how much light you're actually gathering to, to put on your retina because mm-hmm. at low light levels, you know, the color receptors don't respond mm-hmm. very well. So I think you need to have a, a decent aperture to get enough light to actually discern colors 
Uh, That's right. Cer- certainly helps. Uh, another tactic that double star user or observers uh, will go to for discerning color is just racking the stars out of focus. So yeah. you kind of get the halo, uh, you know, or the diffraction rings, I should say. Yeah. And sometimes that can make the color a little more apparent. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I wish I was a more dedicated double star observer. I started doing the RESA list. Um, and there are some quite pretty ones, but yeah, I just haven't done enough of that. I think, and that, that's something I should probably get back to because, you know, with the increasing light pollution in the cities and so on, it's probably the one thing that you could, will probably be able to continue to do as the light pollution gets worse as it seems to be doing. Mm -hmm. So like lunar planetary double stars, that's something you can do from the city. You don't. You know, it's nice to have a dark sky site to go to for the faint fuzzies. But when you include the travel time that you need to get there and back, you know, th- there's lots of things we can observe from our backyards that don't require dark skies. Mm-hmm. So I've included that, a link. I'm not sure if you guys took a look at that. It's to my favorite book on color, which I have mentioned on the show before, just not a long time. It is a free ebook on Google Books. It's the definitive guide for color for philosophers with the strange title of Color for Philosophers, Unweaving the Rainbow by C.L. Hardin, H-A-R-D-I-N. Uh, like I said, if you just go into Google Books and look for Color for Philosophers, you can find this. And it is an amazing read. It includes really interesting facts for visual observers. For example, I was trying to determine once if one could fool themselves into believing they were seeing color in the Orion Nebula. And this book provides a fairly definitive and quite lengthy explanation of why that is unlikely. And the reason is, according to C.L. Hardin anyway, who is an expert on color for philosophers, um, that you cannot perceive these colors simultaneously. That is, greens and reds so if you are perceiving red in the orion nebula it is unlikely you are fooling yourself because if we actually think about our day-to-day operations and if you've driven anywhere in a town of more than three or four hundred people you're going to go through some stoplights if you're not able to perceive red and green appropriately and that is why they use those colors in stoplights because they are seldom confused by the human experience hmm it's a great book and it's That's... free. People should go ahead and just read it and enjoy it or buy a physical copy like I did and read it before bed sometimes. Um, I'm thinking of another book that came out many decades ago. It's called The Colors of the Stars and it has a lot of photographs. Cool. And I think it was uh, put out by uh, a an astrophotographer professional. I think his name was Malin. You remember oh, that? David book? Malin. David Mallon, that might be, you might want to look that up and maybe put that in the show notes too, because I think that would probably, might be also a a useful resource. This would be before digital, right? It's Mm -hmm. in the days when people used film and so on. But I have it on my shelf. If I had thought about it, I would have pulled it off the shelf before we started recording. But uh, again, it goes back a ways. It's a bit it's a bit dated but it, there is quite a big discussion on star colors there so mm-hmm. 
Okay, yeah, I get it. And, and I may and I may live to retract my statement. <laughs> <laughs> never, never. All right, I'm just going to take a moment here to put in some links to these books. I'm putting in the link for David Malin's Colors. Yeah, I think you might have to. I think you might need to validate that. Um, I've got it. Yeah, Colors of the Stars. Yeah, no, I'm I'm doing this in real time. If you can believe it. And then, uh, yeah. Anything further to uh, to add to this show, Shane? Before we wrap up and let Dave get on with his day. <laughs> no, that is all. Uh, thanks again, Dave. Always enjoy having you on the show. Well, it was fun. Yeah, we really enjoyed it, Dave. Um, just a reminder to uh, listeners: we're still doing this. Is like the last sort of. Uh, Notification for our Patreon calendar draw, uh, giving away a few copies of the RASC Observer's Calendar, which I am the editor of. And all you need to do is become a Patreon supporter. Shane and I are going to do a draw next Sunday. And thanks, everybody, for listening. You can always send us your show ideas, observations, and questions to actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, Or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.